this episode of Mouse Kingdoms, we discuss Hollywood Studios turning 30, extra magic hours get an upgrade, a new addition to Animal Kingdom, a signature experience at a price, we continue our tour with Fantasyland, and more. Hang on to your hats and glasses, here we go. Please stand clear of the doors. Por favor, manténganse alejado de las puertas. Welcome to this episode of Mouse Kingdoms, a podcast about Disney parks all around the world. Throughout the week, we cover the latest news and information about the parks in Florida, Europe, and Asia. We invite you to send in your feedback and stories. Our contact information can be found at mousekingdoms.com. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Remain seated, please. Permanecer sentados, por favor. Welcome to this episode of Mouse Kingdoms. I'm Teg. And I'm producer James, sitting in for Terry this week. If you enjoy the show, head on over to mousekingdoms.com support and join the community. As a member of the community, you get access to our supporter-only chat, some Mouse Kingdoms swag, and more. You can support the show for as little as $0.08 cents an episode, and we truly thank all of you for your support. Well, after listening to this episode, you'll probably want to book a trip to one of the parks. It can be overwhelming and a lot of work. We've worked with Mike and James over at Concierge for some time and have come to really love them for handling our trips to the parks. For those of you who don't know them, Concierge offers vacation planning for you at no additional cost. The price that you'd pay for your Disney trip if you booked it yourself is the same price you pay if you have Concierge do all the work for you. Why wait? Give the official travel planners of Mouse Kingdoms a call and get the first year of touring plans for free. Head on over to mousekingdoms.com to find a link to their website and find out more. This time we are making a visit to the Walt Disney World Resort. Let's see what's happening there. On May 1st, the 30th anniversary of Disney Hollywood Studios, a new logo was unveiled. The new logo looks pretty plain with the exception of BB-8 from Star Wars, Woody from Toy Story, and Mickey Mouse in the O letters of Hollywood. Now, th- th- this logo looks really cool when it's in motion and the characters are popping out. So like with the TV spots and other screens that you can see it on, it-, it has such a good look for maintaining a lot of the Hollywood Studios appearance. But just kind of as a standalone, I wish I was more excited than I am. Yeah, the only place that I've seen other than the animated versions in like the ad or whatever is they have this concept drawing of like the arch that's pretty famous in in Hollywood Studios. And it looks pretty good in that graphic there. Uh, however, if you just see it by itself on a white background, which is where most people saw it, like on Twitter, it looks very amateurish. It looks like somebody took photoshopped some characters into the O's and they're like, there's the new logo. Uh, not not a huge fan. They gave the intern the keys to the kingdom, right? Apparently. <laughs> During the 30th anniversary announcements, the marquee for Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, the pre-show titled Perfect Picnic, and the locomotive ride vehicle were debuted. The marquee will retain the Chinese theater neon look, which is pretty cool. The locomotive will change appearance depending on whether it's under normal lighting conditions or under the black light. I'm glad that they kind of kept like the movie kind of look for it with the neon because uh, I saw this and I was like, OK, this still seems very great movie ride esque, you know, because the entrance to great movie ride was very neon. Oh, absolutely. So it's nice that they kind of kept that as an homage to it. Um, the show pre-show title of Perfect Picnic, not too exciting. Uh, you know, it's OK. It's the pre-show title. Uh, the ride vehicle looks pretty cool. The fact that it has this paint that, you know, I assume when you get on the attraction, it looks one way and it goes to different things and it turns and looks totally different. So that's kind of cool. It's a, it's a simple thing that obviously they've been doing stuff like that with dark rides for a long time, but it's cool to see it, uh, in this attraction. It's just such a nice extra layer of magic. And I especially think for like the younger guests who won't see it coming or don't know it's going to happen. Suddenly their train is going to be a little darker shade of blue or or the red's going to pop a little bit more. It, it's going to be such a neat experience. Yeah. And I, and I got to say, the with the whole like exterior and the marquee, I think the new look on Mickey and Minnie actually fits really well with how this one uh, looks. Yeah, I agree. Well, the wonderful world of animation premiered as part of the 30th anniversary festivities. The new show is made up of lasers, fireworks, spotlights, but mostly projections. There's some nice parts of the show and some great music, but it seems to be lacking something that's hard to put a finger on. I saw the, we talked about it last week, we saw the the Imagineers kind of talking about creating it, 
and it looked kind of interesting. And then I saw the the preview perform or the the premiere performance online, and I I watched the whole thing, and I was just kind of underwhelmed. I mean, some of the shows they've had there before were projection shows. I thought that Star Wars one that we saw was great. Yeah. Uh, you know, and they had they had a couple others since then, but I don't know. Something about this one is lacking for me. However, in our chat, uh, Doug, our moderator, said that it almost brought him to tears. So maybe it's just not my thing. Maybe. Well, you know, your thing's more of a fireworks kind of thing. So. Yeah, but I can enjoy projections. I just felt like, I don't know, maybe there was too much going on, or maybe it's something that has to be experienced in person to maybe get a get more of an impact from. I'm just not sure. Especially with something that's going to be like an anniversary show. I feel like you really got to like, I don't know. I've been spoiled with anniversary shows. I yeah, guess. That's true. Yeah. I think about when we were at Disney World last time, and we thought the projection show then was going to be a little underwhelming. And then we saw it in person. It's like, okay, this is way better than we give it credit. So I think you're absolutely right that seeing it in person and having all of that around you is going to make a huge difference. Well, I, I guess I look forward to seeing it in person. Yeah, there you go. Well, Toy Story Land will be getting a new barbecue restaurant. The Roundup Rodeo Barbecue will be a table service restaurant themed to a rodeo in Andy's backyard. There's no current opening date set for the new dining location. The concept art for this looks pretty cool. It looks like there's a lot of different toys and stuff around in it um, that's going to kind of like surround you. Uh, One of the things that the Disney Parks blog said that's going to be interesting about this one is the fact that there will be variations of Toy Story characters in this area. So things like like ways that these characters you haven't seen in the parks yet that are just like slightly different because, you know, it's supposed to look like Andy built this little thing out of some cardboard boxes in the backyard and you've got toys from Toy Story. You've got toys from other properties they said even a lot of uh, pixar disney pixar characters could be there uh as as additional characters you know kind of around the area i don't know it looks cool uh some people online are a little upset because they thought that this should have been the restaurant that opened with toy story land until budgets got cut so they're like you know maybe you should have done this from the beginning yeah it's a it's a fair criticism but you know disney's gonna do it right and they're gonna make sure it has the right atmosphere and experience that you're gonna get out of it and if the concept art is anything to go on like they are they're doing toy story right by really giving you that immersive experience of being around and you know maybe even feel like one of the toys sure now another thing that came across this too that was interesting was the fact that people are complaining that it's a table service restaurant. Yeah. In Hollywood studios, there's enough table service. They need like a quick service restaurant, which it could work. I don't know. I, to me, it doesn't really matter if it's table service or quick service. Uh, I guess you'd people would turn over quicker if it was a, a quick service restaurant, but I don't know. Is it going to stop you from wanting to go? I don't think so. And I, I think about that for, for two reasons. One, usually when we talk about our experience at Hollywood studios, it's it's not quite a full day park. And so by it will having, be soon. Well, yeah, but by having the sit down restaurant that that takes away some of your time to have that magical experience. And then two, when it becomes that full day or multi day park once Galaxy's Edge opens, it's gonna be a nice place for people to get away and have some time and maybe even suck up a couple extra families instead sure. of living their Star Wars experience. Well, James, what is better than extra magic hours? There's something better than extra magic hours. Uh this is really silly, but extra, extra magic hours. We're not kidding. That's the name of the new perk for Disney Resort Hotel guests coming this fall. The new offering will begin with Galaxy's Edge opening on August 29th. Hollywood Studios will be open for all guests at 6 a.m. on August 29th through the 31st. That is not part of the extra, extra magic hours. But starting September 1st through November 2nd, the park will be open from 6 to 9 a.m. for this extra, extra magic. At the Magic Kingdom and Animal Kingdom, extra, extra hours will be available from 7 to 8 a.m. every day. Epcot will offer extended hours on select days. As a reminder, FastPass Plus is not available for these extended hours. They are really squeezing all the pixie dust out of Tinkerbell for all of this extra, extra magic. Yeah, it seems that way. I do think it's interesting that that with Disneyland, they've got this whole reservation system and all this stuff going on. And we haven't heard anything for Disneyland yet that they're going to have any type of extended park hours because of Galaxy's Edge. However, Hollywood Studios opening at 6 a.m. on the first three days it's open, that's that's quite earlier than the park would normally open. Yeah, they are really trying to give everyone a chance to get there and take advantage of the park and spend more hours in the park to buy more things and experience more attractions. Although, and it's also a good perk that from the 1st through November 2nd, so a whole extra month, that if you are a guest somewhere on property, that you will be 
uh, able to enjoy these couple extra hours in the morning, again, with no fast pass plus or anything. So they should be able to get people through. So it kind of makes you want to go during that time frame, make sure you book a Disney resort hotel and then can get in and do this when it's not nearly as packed. And you could probably in those two hours, depending on it, you probably can hit up almost everything in the land. Probably, or at least the two attractions and then kind of stick around and experience everything else while everyone runs to get onto the attractions. Right. Um, Just a reminder, Rise of the Resistance will not be, be open. open. Yeah, so, no. Rats. But yeah. I, I think it's nuts, because I, I already think it's such a, a good deal. You get a lot of perks for staying on property at Disney World as it is, and to add, like, extra, extra magic with these extra, extra early hours is great. Yeah, I I, I kind of wish they would have found a cooler name for it yeah. other than extra, extra magic hours. <laughs> I just feel like they had a meeting and they're like, we got to name it. How about extra, extra? Sure, done. Yeah, you know, people easily understand the concept. So I suppose. <laughs> well, a few months ago, Disney announced the Play Pavilion coming to the old Wonders of Life Pavilion in Future World. Some details of the new area have come out. The Animation Academy will return with Edna Mode guiding the instruction on how to draw Disney characters that was previously in the magic of Disney animation in Hollywood Studios. Nick and Judy from Zootopia will host an interactive game called Hotel Heist, and Wreck-It Ralph meet and greets will be available, a player for toddlers and an arcade near the Wreck-It Ralph section, and finally, live performers will take the stage at the center of the pavilion, and the show areas for the previous Body Wars and Cranium Command attractions will not be utilized. So there's kind of a lot here. Uh, when they announced this play pavilion, there wasn't much except for like some concept art. And they said, we're going to have this thing inside the Wonders of Life. And it's like, oh, OK. And so now that they've kind of, uh, you know, given a little bit more information on the fact that there's going to be these other things in there. I am sad that this does seem like it's going to be an area that the, the only thing that's going to be really an attraction part is the Animation Academy. And then this the hotel heist, the hotel heist. The rest of it's just going to be like meet and greet. So it's going to be kind of like a fancy meet and greet area, I guess. I hope down the road that they put some type of attraction. I mean, there's plenty of space there with Body Wars and Cranium Command. There should be plenty of space there to be able to put some type of an attraction in there. Yeah, but I, I look at this list and I, I think I also read that like the, the people from Inside Out and Baymax will find permanent homes here as well. So it's I feel like it's a lot of underused Disney IPs or underappreciated that aren't quite the newest ones, but are still new enough that they're, you know, well-loved and not well-represented are going to have their place in the park finally. And so I, I, I think about our nephew who just adores Zootopia and always right. talks about bunny. Like he's going to love that Judy from Zootopia is going to be readily there and waiting to say hello to him. That's true. Well, this last week, a new Royal dining experience premiered at magic kingdom. The new signature celebration package at Cinderella's Royal table includes dinner, reserve fireworks viewing in the West Plaza garden and access to the after fireworks dessert party at the Tomorrowland terrace. Cinderella and Prince Charming will personally welcome you when you arrive. Then you'll get a glass of wine or a special beverage. Then princesses will come and greet you during dinner. A commemorative box of Cinderella-inspired confections will be provided for dessert. Reservations can be made at DisneyWorld.com for $199 plus tax and gratuity for adults and $169 plus tax and gratuity for children. It's not to love. It's like something for the adults with the uh, commemorative or the glass of wine or especially beverage and something for the kids when the princesses come and greet you. I just feel like $199 is pretty steep. Yeah, that is. That is pretty high. I mean, Cinderella's Royal Table is already one of the pricier restaurants as it is, right? Right. But this includes like the meal and everything, which I guess is nice. But I, I it would have to be something really fantastic for $199 and so it's nice that you get per you know you get the personal attention from Prince Charming and Cinderella. You get you get access to the fireworks, you know, the after fireworks dessert party, which is a different ticketed event. Yep. Uh, so I mean, I guess I feel like if they would have brought the price down for adults to the children's price, which is the one sixty nine, I think that's that would be something that I could be like, okay, maybe I'm interested in it. But I think at two hundred dollars on top of your park tickets for the day. And everything else you're going to spend money on during the day, I just think that's really steep. That's 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 more than the cost to get into the park for the day. Yeah, yeah, I got to imagine there there's some good thought process to it to really kind of maybe limit the demand for it to make sure everyone who really wants it can have it. But, I suppose. But I, I'm with you. I and that might be because we don't have 
the children to really clamor for that kind of dining experience. But yeah, but if you have a family of four, a mom and a dad and two kids. Good point. That's gonna that's gonna break your budget real fast. Because it's four hundred for the adults, five, six, seven. So you're up to like eight hundred dollars for everybody. Yep. All right. Fair and point. that doesn't include tax on the eight hundred dollars mm. or the gratuity that you're gonna have to pay. Yep. It's gonna be pricey to meet Cinderella and Prince Charming. Well, if you're going to be celebrating Mother's Day at Disney World, there are plenty of special options to choose from. You can get special floral arrangements, dining options at various locations around the resort, resort hotel events like Minnie's Mother's Day Chocolate Party at Disney's Beach Club, and a special brunch at the Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. for about $39 for adults or about 20 bucks for children. For a full list of events and offerings, visit the link in our show notes. There's a lot going on for Mother's Day. I was starting to write this and I was like, Oh man, this could like take up an entire block of news just just talking about all these different things uh, that are going on. But uh, if if uh, you're going to be in the resort area with your mom, lots of good stuff. I think about all the the stress and and whatnot mothers probably go through planning a lot of these trips for their families. So it's nice to see that they have an opportunity to really get spoiled in a lot of places throughout the park. Well, speaking of mothers, a new baby gorilla has, was born at Animal Kingdom. Grace, a female gorilla, was born to mother. Kashada and Father Gino on May 1st. Her name was chosen by the animal care experts at Disney in recognition of the Grace Gorilla Sanctuary in the Democratic Republic of Congo, which is dedicated to helping gorillas that have been made orphans through poaching. I always love these stories of the the baby animal being born and everyone just gets really excited about these things. I mean, who's not going to be excited when they get to Animal Kingdom once Grace really gets out there and you can see the baby gorilla? Well, the other thing too is they, they announced the uh, sex of the gorilla like in the viewing area one of the gorillas came out and, like opened a box and it was like pink oh that's funny yeah so <laughs> they had a gender reveal party for the gorillas yep oh that's amazing <laughs> i don't know if the gorillas understood it but it was there for the guests for sure <laughs> well thanks gino and kashata for giving us all that joy <laughs> Well, Galaxy's Edge is going to require a lot of patience and waiting in lines, but not everywhere. Mobile ordering will be offered at Docking Bay 7, Ronto Roasters, and Milk Stand. Mobile ordering will not be available at Katsaka's Kettle or Oga's Cantina. Well, this is good news. Somewhere you won't have to wait in line. You know, you just open up your app and do whatever. Uh, However, just to let people know, it will be limited to, uh, because you use the mobile app. Yep. And it will GPS track you. You need to be in the land to be ordering any of this stuff. So if you're, you know, let's say you're at Star Tours and you're just outside Galaxy's Edge and you go to order something, it's not going to work. You got to be inside the land. Uh, And of course, you know, at Disneyland, if you're in that four hour window reservation, that's the time you're going to be ordering this stuff. So uh, I like the fact that they're doing mobile ordering. I'm really excited when we go in August to Disneyland to try mobile ordering for the first time because I think it's going to be a huge time saver. And plus, we talked about it on DL Weekly a few times that I'm kind of picky with things, so it'll be nice in an app to be like, no, this, extra, that, whatever, and it'll be done. You calling yourself kind of picky might be the understatement of this podcast. Well, <laughs> you know, I want to eat the food I want to eat, and I think that's there's nothing wrong with that. But you got to remember, too, on DL Weekly, you've talked about it as well with the fact that it's easier to find things for people that have dietary restrictions. Oh, yeah. I think mobile ordering is so smart and such a great thing, and I'm glad they're really embracing it, especially in a new land. You know, I don't want to give Disney any bad ideas, but they could probably charge like a dollar to do a mobile order and make money that way. Yeah, people would probably still do it. Mm-hmm. Well, when you book a reservation at a Disney resort, you get a solid color magic band for free included with your reservation. A new discount will offer over 30 different designs for guests and annual pass holders to choose from. The offer is a $15 discount, bringing the price to around $10 for most of the option upgrades. There's so much you get to do with the Magic Bands, and you know, you're know you going to be wearing it all the time when you're at the park, and if not beyond it, if you really enjoy how it looks. you know, For, for $10, I think you're going to get a lot of people who are willing to go and pick out the one that they really want to get. Yeah, and just to note, this this isn't any any of the Magic Bands. There's you know, a selection of magic bands that they're offering the sun. But I think that's a cool idea. I mean, I think when we, I mean, I was happy with my purple one. What color did you have? I had a gray one. You had a gray one. Um, if they would have offered us a design, maybe I would have got a design. Yeah, maybe. I was like, yeah, I guess it, it really depends on what the select designs are. Because yeah. the, the basic one's nice. And, you know, what, what's great about the magic bands is all the little, like, add-ons and decorations that you can really put with it, too, to make it your own. Yeah. I really like a lot of the new designs they're coming out with. Like, they just had, they had a, a couple, they had one for um, Avengers Endgame that came out that looked really cool. 
they have one for the 30th anniversary of uh, Hollywood Studios. So it, it's like it's like pin trading, you know? It's just like another thing that you can collect a bunch of different ones. It's of. just a shame you only really have to wear one and use one throughout your whole trip. It just... <laughs> You know, you have this collection to show off, and it's just not quite as easy as pins. That's true. Well, if the gods have been angered by all the celebrating, then the new Tiki Room-inspired rain gear can keep you dry. The new raincoat and umbrella, which features Jose on the handle, will be available starting May 13th. I thought you'd like my writing for that one. Oh, it's glorious. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry that you had to read it, but I guess you liked it. Oh. Uh, this is interesting. I mean, it's not, it's not it's, it's anything terribly interesting, I guess, but it's just, you know, it's an umbrella and, uh, you know, like a poncho. It is so vibrant. Like if you see anyone wearing this, that is like you were going to notice them in a crowd. Well, they're a little late because like they just had Tiki Land Day at Disneyland a couple weeks yeah, ago. This would have been great for that. It would have been. Missed opportunity. But for next time, I guess. Yeah, there you go. Be prepared for next year. Well, as the 50th anniversary nears for the Magic Kingdom, the Tron coaster is finally seeing some vertical construction. The track will need to be completed before the show building can be constructed around it. So from inside the park, or if you take uh, the road that goes around the Magic Kingdom there, you can actually see this vertical construction taking place. Uh, it's always good to see something going vertical. That means that like it's getting closer and closer. It's not just a bunch of dirt being pushed around and foundation work being done. Yeah, I remember all the hype when the Tron coaster first debuted over in Asia. And people were just loving this attraction. And for me, I'm always like, well, if it's anything like Space Mountain and that kind of coaster, you get that experience. I'm going to be totally on board with it and, and seeing the, the ride views on it and what it looks like. I'm just like, I want this to be open now at a place that's a little more accessible to me so I can go ride it. Yeah. The only thing that, that's going to be weird for me on the Tron coaster is I'm going to want to ride it at night because I think at night is where oh, it's going to shine. Yeah. Well, yeah, because you think about Tron, so much of it is based on like light for the visuals. And so if you don't really get that experience as much, I agree. Mm -hmm. Well, the smoking ban went into place this past week and smoking is not allowed at any of the theme parks anymore. The approved locations are just outside to the left of the main entrance of Animal Kingdom, outside and to the right, along the water in front of Hollywood Studios to the far left outside the entrance to Epcot, and finally at the end of the bus drop-off area near the Seven Seas Lagoon at the Magic Kingdom. So it's kind of interesting because the first picture I saw of where these locations were was for Animal Kingdom, and it's literally like right to the left. And I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. They're making it really accessible if somebody needs to pop out and have a smoke, whatever, right? Yep. But then uh, you get to Hollywood Studios, and it's kind of like way kind of off in the distance. Uh, at Hollywood, and then uh, the far left outside of Epcot again. That one's that one's kind of like Animal Kingdom, kind of off to the side. But then again, when you get back to the Magic Kingdom, it's like way over by the buses. Yeah, so it's like buses. you can't just hop out and have a smoke and hop back in. I mean, you got to go kind of further away. But uh, I do think overall uh, that it's a it's a good change. And so uh, just want to give everybody listening heads up of if if you need your fix. This is your locations where you can do it. Hopefully you are a park hopper and then you can find the opportunities in between going to the parks where it'll probably be much easier and you won't necessarily be left behind or have to find places. That's true. This week without Terry, it's going to be really interesting, James. It's time to check in with you and see what trivia you have for me this week. Uh, James is going to ask me the question. I'm going to attempt to answer and he'll give us the answer at the end of the show. So this is interesting because usually I've got a cohort that can kind of bounce things off of, but it's just me tonight. Yeah, so no, no brain trust for you tonight. We're just testing your knowledge yeah. of all these parks. Yeah. All right. What's the first question? So what is the oldest attraction in Magic Kingdom? There's a bunch of 1971 attractions. Well, they may have opened at Disney World in 1971, but that doesn't mean they weren't functioning elsewhere prior to that. I'm going to say the carousel. You're welcome for it, that unexpected hint, by the way. Well, it's either the carousel or one of the locomotives, but I think it's the carousel. Well, there you go. All right, and your second and last question for this show, what is the name of the audio animatronic singer-slash-organist who performs daily at Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe? I should know this. I was going to say Cosmic Ray. Nope, that's not going to be it. <laughs> nope, not quite. Oh. Give a hint. He's a he's a really good performer. Whether it's uh, night, day, light, dark. <laughs> I feel like you just gave it to me, but I can't even think of what it would be. Uh, if it would have triggered something, maybe if you know it. But 
I do know it, but like it's not something that like I retain. Like when I see it pop up, I'm like, oh yeah, that's that. But not something I maintain. That's what trivia is all about. It's not about what you know. It's about what you can remember. Oh jeez, I have no idea. I don't. I can't even venture. Cosmic ray. Oh, I know it's wrong. Great guess. <laughs> well, we'll get to see how you did by your lonesome after we talk about some more of the Magic Kingdom. Not very good. Well, this week we're going to continue our tour of the parks. Uh, I'm actually kind of sad Terry's not here because I think she was kind of excited for this one, but uh, she got some tickets to a baseball game last minute, so that's where she's at. Great seats, too, she said, so good for her. Yeah, so we're going to continue our tour of the Magic Kingdom with Fantasyland. So Fantasyland, obviously, is going to be one of the lands that opened with the Magic Kingdom back in 1971. Uh, Although between 2010 and 2014 it went through a major expansion which is was dubbed the new fantasy land which kind of absorbed mickey's toontown fair thing that was back there and uh so that's now part of the new fantasy land so actually they kind of got rid of a whole section to kind of bring that one thing that i thought was um very interesting when we were researching this was i did not realize that I mean, technically it has 11 attractions, but we're not going to count the railroad as an attraction. Right. But there's 10 attractions, and actually it's broken up into three themed areas. I did not know it was three different themed areas. I didn't realize that either, but I, I guess as as you think about like, I feel at least two of them are very like truly different feeling, particularly the Storybrooke Circus and the Castle Courtyard. Like uh, You go to those, and it, it feels like that kind of experience. Channel Forest... I don't know if I definitely get that that feeling as I walk by all those attractions, but that that's actually kind of cool. So what are the three areas? The Enchanted Forest, the Storybook Circus, and the Castle Courtyard. Yeah, because the Storybook Circus I actually thought was a separate kind of land when we were there, it, but I realized it is part of this. Um, and then, of course, the Enchanted Forest is like that whole new Fantasyland area. And the Castle Courtyard is just kind of, it's kind of that weird wall thing that's in there that I always thought was strange because it seems like it's just kind of there. Yeah, almost blocking better traffic flows. <laughs> right, but apparently it's good because you can have character meet and greets yeah. and everything else there. So I think that's that's a good thing. Start us off, James. What's what's the first thing that's in the... We're going to start the Enchanted Forest. What's the first attraction that's there? Well, the first one we're going to talk about is Under the Sea, The Journey of the Little Mermaid. Now, this one has been around like the idea for this attraction has been around for a long time and i was very very excited because the first time that this was ever kind of out there for the public was the platinum edition dvd of the little mermaid in 2006 they released the fact that they had worked on this dark ride for it but it never came to be and i remember watching this on this dvd i remember thinking oh it'd be so cool to have this attraction why did they never build this right and then uh they built it of course for california adventure uh and then they opened it uh, with the expanded fantasy land in the Magic Kingdom. I I absolutely adore dark rides. I am 100% willing to admit I have a bias that if it's a dark ride, I'm probably going to really enjoy it. Um, I, there, there's just something for me of going and getting the experience, especially if you, you make it a dark ride based on uh, a movie or a film that I've seen where I can kind of get that experience and have that bit of nostalgia triggered and. Uh, I feel like The Little Mermaid does that really well. It brings you into a lot of the really good events that you want to remember from that movie. Now, one thing that is totally different than than the California Adventure version of this is this one is really well-themed on the outside. Mm. So, I mean, it fits with the pier kind of thing in California Adventure, but the one uh, here in Fantasyland really is looks like the seashore in Prince Eric's castle kind of there and... You know, you you go into the queue and there's waterfalls. And of course, you come across Scuttle, which I love Scuttle kind of chatting. And and, (laughs) and, uh, he's in the queue talking to you, which is super cool. This also has a really cool play area, like as you're in the queue that like kids can look for Sebastian popping out of different places, uh, which uh, when we were there, the line wasn't too long. So I didn't get a chance to really look at it too much. But um, it also has some some areas of the top of the queue because you're inside for part of the queue. There's actually areas that are open to the sky and stuff, which is really neat. Uh, I think that this area is just themed really well. And the queue is kind of hidden from everybody. It's kind of off the path, so it yeah. doesn't expand out into the pathways or anything like that. So uh, I, I, I'm I very happy with this. Now, the other thing was uh, this finally utilized some space that people were really kind of mad about for a long time. So, so in the early 90s, the attraction 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, which was kind of magic kingdom's version of the of the submarine voyage 
uh, closed. And it kind of that area of the park from 1994 to when this opened kind of sat vacant and it was used kind of as a backdrop for character meet and greets, that kind of thing. And so people were very happy that they were able to utilize that whole space for something. And this is the attraction that they built there. Well, I mean, they've had such a hard time with like submarine or lagoon style attractions. You think about the one at Disneyland, it's gone through a whole bunch of refurbishments to get to where it is now with Finding Nemo. Right. I think it's be the same kind of case with the the Disney World one. So I'm glad they settled on, let's get away from it. Let's just use the area and give you the right experience with the Little Mermaid attraction. Now, of course, one of the great things about this attraction that makes it gobble up guests like crazy is the fact that it shares the ride system of the Haunted Mansion. It has an Omnimover ride I system. I love Omnimover ride systems. They're so efficient. They're so good at what they do. They just keep you moving. Right. So the ride itself kind of takes you through. It starts with Scuttle kind of retelling the story of the Little Mermaid. You kind of go, one of the cool things about it is you kind of go underwater for part of it. It kind of feels like mm-hmm. you're underwater. And of course, you see Ariel and you get the under the sea song going on and then you go in and you see ursula which uh if it's a good day her head hasn't fallen off <laughs> yeah let's not talk about that bad experience right right uh uh which she's a great animatronic as well uh you go through that then of course you get to the kiss the girl scene mm-hmm. and you're kind of up again the only thing i have to say about this attraction that i am disappointed with is the end kind of goes from kiss the girl to Ursula in the background drowning and they're together happily ever after. And you're like, wait, wait a minute. What just what just happened? Here? I feel like that's the problem with just about every dark ride that exists, though. It's always like, this is a great story. And then suddenly it's over and they're all happily ever after. It's like, wait, wait, Ursula's a person, too. Right. And so you kind of lose that. But you talk about going through and I, I just think the whole under the sea feeling is probably the most magical spot for me because you're just surrounded by the music and the fish and the undersea creatures and you know, it, it gives you that party atmosphere that they provide in the film and you get to live through it. You're right. Dark rides always skimp on the end. Always. Now, in the version that was on the DVD, if people ever go back and watch this video from the DVD, I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. You could see that there was a whole segment where you actually were going to go around a giant Ursula like attacking. So like that scene was there. Oh, that would have been so cool. Yeah, it just didn't work out. Well, as we continue on in the Enchanted Forest, the main attraction, I would say, in this whole area that people are crazy for, maybe even in the whole park, is the Seven Dwarves Mine Train. Now, I will say this is a very enjoyable attraction. It yes. is a roller coaster mixed with a dark ride, kind of. Yeah, you get a little bit of that. Um, it's not too wild. I think I think kids, like smaller kids in general, I think would be okay. Like this might be a good first coaster. Well, it's such a smooth ride. Like even though you do make some some curves and some drops, like the, they did such a good job with the engineering on the coaster and the, the ride itself that it, it makes it a much easier thing, I think, like you say, for younger guests. Yeah, and, and it's got some cool things that kind of help make it smooth, like you were saying too. The, the cars rock back and mm-hmm. forth. It's it's a great uh, attraction. The only thing that I had a problem with is when we were there, the line was always at least like an hour and a half to two hours long. Oh, at least. And I remember that we we scored. Uh, we were on the train, I think, the first time. <laughs> yep. And we were just happy to be looking at Fast Pass Plus return times, and one popped up, and I grabbed it. Oh, it wasn't just that. It was the family behind us That's was what canceling was. theirs, and we're like, no, no, we want this, and you just kept refreshing. Right, and it popped in, and we went and got on it. And then another one was uh, an attraction broke down, so we got a anytime, use anywhere Fast Pass, yep. and we got to go on it again. And I remember the first time we went on it, I just said, it's a great attraction. I think I would have been disappointed waiting two hours and then ended up being I very this. much agree. It's good. It's just it's hard to find any attraction that's worth that long of a wait, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I think if it, if it's like brand new or an experience that you know you're getting into, like I think when Soren opened up or what's going to happen with Galaxy's Edge, like you're going to have those long waits. And if you want to experience the new shiny, you wait for it. But I would have thought at this point this one would have slowed down a little. But maybe. Just maybe it's like what we talk about. This is a really good attraction for families with younger kids and they can really get on board with it. And then you get that nice mine experience too with the really good animatronics down there, the dwarves. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I agree. There is an indoor section of the queue, which is really nice. There was some activities in there that you could do, but they've kind of just replaced them with just physical gems. Now they used yeah. to be like a gem matching game, but they Those took were that out. Cool. It was cool. Uh, but so there's that insert section, but like most of the time it goes out into the outside oh, section. So yes, it's hard, but um, it is pretty cool in there. I remember in the in the heat of Florida, 
once you got to the inside portion, it was very comfortable in there. Yeah, that was like the one time we didn't mind having to stand in line, I think. Yeah. And it was, you know, and there was enough to look at, you know, you kind of get immersed in it and everything. Kind of feels like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, but for for younger kids. You can see there's a lot of crossover with that idea. That makes sense. Now, the cool idea with this is the ride goes both indoors and outdoors, similar to Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, Splash Mountain, that kind of thing, because there's there's a dark ride inside segment. The, The interesting thing about this one for me, too, is you kind of go fast for one segment, and then once you get in the inside, it kind of just takes you through the scene as like a slow dark ride pace, which I think is yeah. really cool, the fact that they can like time that all right. And then, of course, it has all the iconic music from Snow White. So I think in general, it's, it's, a, it's a good attraction. I think people should definitely go on it. I would just say if it's maybe a 45-minute to an hour, hour wait, probably worth it. If you can score a fast pass, that's really what you want to do. Yeah, this is definitely the one you want to be uh be on your uh, fast pass game after you make your reservations and try to get that 8 a.m. or 9 a.m. fast pass for it so you can get there right away. Right. So what's the next attraction that we come across? Uh, let's take a spin on the Mad Tea Party. Now, this one, there's not too much to kind of talk about here. Uh, it opened at Magic Kingdom on opening day. Uh, when it was originally constructed, it actually did not have a roof. It was just like Disneyland's version, which yep. I actually really like. I love that too. Uh, but just a couple years later, because of the extreme weather conditions in Florida, they added a roof. And it was updated in 1992 with a new color scheme, new music, and colorful lanterns on the inside under the roof. So it kind of adds to that. So by extreme weather conditions, do you mean like what every Floridian told us? Like, it's about two or three in the afternoon. It's probably about to rain. Well, I think it's like this week when we've seen those videos of like utter downpour. Yeah. I think that's what they mean. Like, I think a little bit of rain. Although I will say at Disneyland too, when it rains, the that's one of the attractions that shuts down is yep. the teacup. So, uh, but uh, I don't know. It's a spinny cup ride. I don't know if there's too much else to say about it. It's just kind of a classic attraction that you should go on at some point. Uh, the the weird thing to me here is that it's so close to the Tomorrowland Speedway that it's kind of hard not to like feel like you're not in. Yeah, you lose the theming a little fantasy bit. Fantasyland. Sure. Yeah. What's the next attraction? The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh. What can you tell me about the 100 Acre Woods? Oh, geez. You've been on both Winnie the Pooh attractions at Disneyland now and uh, at the Magic Kingdom. Yes. Which one did you like better? Oh, I don't know. Am I supposed to have a clear favorite? (laughs) I liked the Magic Kingdom version better than I liked the Disneyland version because they kind of shoehorned the Disneyland version into what the Country Country Bear area was. So it's very short. I do like the Magic Kingdom one. Uh, the one thing that is really sad about this is one of my favorite attractions at Disneyland was at the Magic Kingdom, and this replaced it, which was Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Oh, yes. Which we didn't say last week in our uh, Liberty Square tour, but there's actually a... Uh, is there something paying homage to it? Yeah, there's there's like a tombstone or like a statue of... Thaddeus Toad at the Auto Mansion That's kind of really paying, cool. paying homage to that. But uh, yes, so Winnie the Pooh, I think it's a it's a good attraction and kind of tells you the story as you go along. It's a great dark ride. I understand why it always feels like kind of the forgotten dark ride of the group, though. I mean, it's out of the way compared to the other ones, so it's a little bit more of an effort to go see it, and it, it doesn't have the, the nostalgic component that a lot of the other ones have. Because while you might have grown up with Winnie the Pooh, you don't necessarily grow up with the story as much as you do with the other ones. Right. I think that's what always kind of cuts it off for me. But I, I do thoroughly enjoy Pooh and all of the characters that are tied to it. I do like Winnie the Pooh. I just feel like, unfortunately, Winnie the Pooh's kind of gotten not-so-great attractions. Like, yeah. I feel like they could be better, that's all. Oh, absolutely. Although, I do love the Heffalumps and Woozles oh, segment. It's classic. Well, next up, we're now leaving the Enchanted Forest, and we're going to the Storybook cir- Circus area, which this is kind of off to the far, like, east side of the land, like, up to the mm-hmm. park, because just south of it is the Tomorrowland Speedway, so this is kind of that area there. Of course, the Storybook uh, Circus includes the train station for Fantasyland, uh, but we're not going to talk about that, because it's the train. We've already talked about that before. So... Barnstormer. So this one was kind of interesting. This reminded me a lot of Gadget's Go Coaster in Toontown, where it's a fun little attraction, but it seems like by the time you start getting into it, it's over. This is definitely your starter roller coaster, probably even more so than the Seven Doors Mine Train. I I have to admit, like when, when we went on this last time, I definitely had to take out the silly feelings of like, 
here we are, two adults going on the barnstorm. But it's like, you know what? Everyone's a kid of the Magic Kingdom. Totally okay. No problem. We're going to go enjoy this. It's true. That's, I mean, everybody's a kid at the, at, at the Magic Kingdom, so it doesn't really matter. So, actually, you know what's funny? So, everybody just calls it Barnstormer, but you know it's actually the great Goofini's Barnstormer? I did not. Is that official? Uh, that is official. Wow. Great Goofini. The great Goofini. What other names does he have that we don't even know about? I don't know. <laughs> but before... It was the great Goofy's Barnstormer. It was the Barnstormer at Goofy's Wiseacre Farm. Oh, okay. From when it was created to then. And before 1996, when it was the Wiseacre Farm, there was actually Grandma Duck's Petting Farm that was there. That was, uh, it was not the Barnstormer, but it was like a little, oh like a little gosh. petting area. Oh, adorable. Yeah. Uh, I thought Barnstormer was, was fun, uh, but it's not something I would wait any amount of time for. I think we got a fast pass for that one, didn't we? Yeah, we picked one up for that. I'm going to let you introduce the next one and talk a little bit about it because I know you have a personal story behind this oh, one. Oh, I sure do. So the only other attraction in the Storybook Circus area is Dumbo the Flying Elephant. This is like Disneyland or Disney Park classic. You know it's going to be there and experience it. And so the story that Tig is getting at is so when my mom was pregnant with me, they took a trip to the Magic Kingdom with all their family. You know, got to start them young, right, Tig? Um, and so anyway, so there's home video of someone filming my family, like, what was your favorite attraction? And so they went around, they asked my mom and then they asked her, oh, what was the baby's favorite attraction? And she decided my favorite attraction was Dumbo the Flying Elephant. So I, I, I guess it's, it's always going to have to be one of my favorites because it was before I was born. I remember when we rode this at Magic Kingdom you talking about this and I was like your mom would be so proud I think we took a picture even oh we totally did so the Magic Kingdom's original 1971 version of this attraction was different from the 1955 Disneyland version so it didn't have Timothy Mouse and his disco ball and the elephants did not have hats which the other one does uh, the original does uh, they were eventually added after a few months, but the Tim- Timothy Mouse figure was not added for about two years. Wow. Uh, and then the ride was later updated with increased vehicle capacity and a new ride system in 1993. Yeah, Dumbo definitely works out to be one of those attractions that I feel like it's such an iconic piece of Disney Parks history and lore that's like, that's one you have to do every time you go to a park. And granted, we probably say that about a lot of attractions. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Uh, one thing I like about this better than Disneyland's version is that it's got the two basic versions of it next to each other. So like the line goes a lot faster because they just put you in one side or the other. Uh, and I like that. And in fact, when we're on it, it's cool because like you end up being next to the other ones. Yeah. Yeah. I I always think that's a great experience. I think about like uh, that or twin coasters where they kind of go together Mm -hmm. like a dueling dragons kind of thing. And those are really nice. Well, that's it for Storybook Circus. We're going to move on to the Castle Courtyard now. And the first attraction uh, that we're going to come across is the It's a Small World attraction, opening day version, uh, uh, opening day attraction uh, at Disney World. Uh, the the interesting thing about this one that was kind of a disappointment for me was the queue and everything is indoors, where I'm used to the one at Disneyland that's outdoors mm-hmm. and has kind of a more grand facade. You get the same kind of feel, the same kind of facade, same kind of design, as Disneyland, except for the fact that it's indoors. Yeah, it's so much less grand because it's just in the back uh, against the wall is what it feels like. So you definitely don't have that 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 sensation of walking up to this crazy building. Right. And the clock that's part of the facade uh, doesn't have the parade of wooden dolls and just goes straight to opening the central pair of doors to reveal the time, like the one at Disneyland mm-hmm. has the dolls and everything. So there's just a little bit less to it, but... Of course, this attraction, everybody knows this attraction, um, you know, has they the at iconic least know music. The song. <laughs> yep, has the iconic music, has the dolls and everybody a trip around the world. So it's it's very similar to all the other versions of It's a Small World Around the World. Mm-hmm. It's just the entrance kind of area is a little different. And uh, when we went on it, I felt very at home. It felt just, just like the one I've experienced a dozen times or more at Disneyland. Yep, exactly what it does, exactly what it is. I mean, what, why, why mess with something if it's not broken, right? Absolutely. What's the next attraction? Well, let's let's talk about uh, Mickey's Philhar Magic. 
Well, Mickey's Philharmonic is a 4D film. Ooh. Ooh. Basically, what that means is you wear 3D glasses, the 3D video, and things happen in the auditorium with you. So water hits you, things vibrate, smoke comes out, everything like that. So this was one of the attractions when we went. I was actually really excited to see. Uh, it opened in October 2003. And it was something that like I had heard a lot about, but I actually never knew really what it was about. I just knew I was like, oh, it's a theater and something cool. It's a whole long story of getting ready for the show and Donald and Goofy setting everything up and then and Donald Don- kind of taking over ruining it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Typical Donald. Duck. <laughs> right. The good, good thing about this is it's got a lot of good music from Disney oh, yeah. features in it. So it's got like Be Our Guest. It's got some music from The Sorcerer's Apprentice. It has uh, Ariel singing Part of Your World, Simba singing I Can't Wait to Be King, uh, Peter Pan, You Can Fly, A Whole New World from Aladdin. So there's a lot of music that's really catchy that like, it's a great place to see kind of all that. And uh, I thought it was a fun show. They have like a whole nice little waiting area. Again, you're inside oh, yeah. uh, in the nice air conditioning. And then you move in and then there's stuff, it, the screen wraps around you. So there's all types of stuff going on. You know, it's hard to see everything. You have you to go can't. see it a couple yeah. times to see it all. But I think overall, it's a very enjoyable show. Did You you liked it, didn't oh, you? I love these attractions. And I, I always feel weird because it's like, oh, I'm going to a theme park to watch a movie. I think about like this or, or Muppet Vision 3D. And it's yeah. like, I, I just love going to these shows to, to have that experience, to get the mix, to watch the the humorous good well-told story and an environment that you're not going to get otherwise and i'll tell you i like this one for the 4d experience much better than i liked what they did at uh a bug's land with the stinger because that yeah. stinger is awful the stinger is awful well people must like this attraction james just like you because not only is it at magic kingdom but it's also at hong kong disneyland it's at tokyo disneyland it's at disneyland paris and just recently a couple weeks ago it opened at disney california adventure so Every resort around the world has a version of this now. Yeah, it's a great show. I, I just wonder if someday they'll have to kind of update it to become something a little different to really kind of draw people back in if you know it ever slows down, which apparently it isn't. Speaking of an attraction that's pretty much everywhere, Peter Pan's Flight. Oh, yeah, that's everywhere. So this was another opening day attraction at the Magic Kingdom. Of course, it was an opening day attraction at Disneyland as well. I tell you, it doesn't matter what park you're at. This thing always has a line. Always. Always has a line. The Magic Kingdom version is really kind of cool, though, because the loaded unload area has an Omnimover style moving ramp to allow you to basically get onto uh, your pirate ship a little bit more easily and more uh, efficiently. Uh, so that's that's something that I remember when we went on. I was like, oh, this is really different. Uh, and then the scenes in the ride are a larger scale than the ones at Disneyland because yep. obviously they had a little bit uh, more more uh, space there. Yeah, I always just think this this is a good attraction. I think that the reason that people get so drawn into it is just because of the track system. You know, being in that flying pirate ship and getting a different vantage point than any other attraction, uh, or at least any other dark ride. Like, that's it, going to draw people in to want to experience that. You really get the pixie dust feeling. The only thing I wish they would change about Fantasyland overall at the Magic Kingdom, with the exception of the new Fantasyland section, but especially in this Castle Courtyard area, is I wish that they would theme it like they do at Disneyland, where it's very appropriate to the time of these things and don't look kind of circusy. These all kind of look circusy to me. It has that original Disneyland look that they got rid yeah. of in the early eighties. Uh, I just think that like when I when I go to the Magic Kingdom, I'm kind of like, oh, this seems, and I, I mean this in a loving way. This seems tacky. I mean, especially like like we were talking about with the three themed areas, you want one to be a circus feeling. Like you get that with the big top over by Dumbo and everything else. Yeah. And if you're trying to make it a castle courtyard, you know, I, I don't think circuses and castles, while maybe some historically similar appearances, they don't necessarily tie together. I'm with you. I, I think a little bit of retheming there, some Disney magic would be would do wonders for that. And what is the last attraction in Fantasyland? The Prince Charming Regal Carousel. Now, I had to double check this because when I was typing this out, I was like Royal Carousel because it just seemed like Royal would be the right word. And then I was like, no, no, it's Regal. So mm-hmm. don't be fooled by that. This carousel was actually built by the Philadelphia Toboggan Company in 1917 and was originally known as the Liberty Carousel. and was delivered to Belle Isle Park in Detroit, Michigan. It had a 60-foot platform, 72 wooden horses, four chariots and sleighs, and seated 99 passengers. Uh, and it was moved to Olympic Park in Irvington, New Jersey in 1967. The Walt Disney Company purchased it. 
I feel like all the carousels at all the parks that we've talked about and done tours of, the carousel always seems to be the thing that like they bought from somewhere else. I, I do people just not make carousels anymore? That has to be something. You know, if, if there's another one that's functioning, it's not like a, you're gonna really reinvent the carousel other than making sure that every horse on it is a moving horse and not giving you that that chance for a stationary thing. I think it's probably easier to retrofit a horse than to build up the whole carousel and ride system. So, fun fact. While the carousel was being installed at the Magic Kingdom, Roy Disney noticed that the placement was off-center with the Castle Breezeway, and it was moved eight inches, so it would be on center. He noticed an eight-inch difference? He's got attention to detail, man. That is, like, beyond attention to detail. I would notice, because I'm crazy like that. (laughs) Yeah. So, James, how can you tell which horse is Cinderella's horse? Uh, That's a really good question. I could give you a really dumb guess, but I'd probably be wrong. It's the only horse that has a golden bow on its tail. Yeah, I want to guess that. So, huh. Cast members have referred to it as Cinderella's as well as in various Disney publications. Cinderella has been depicted as riding a horse in various pieces of collectible sculpture and artwork, such as a 2001 limited edition lithograph. Now, I wonder, do, do people know this and clamor to ride this horse because it's Cinderella's horse? Or people are just like... I feel like most people probably don't even know. And yeah, that's, that's kind of my thought, too. I'm like, but our listeners knowledge, do know. So... Well, that kind of wraps up a tour of Fantasyland. There is a lot in Fantasyland. Of course, every time I think of any Fantasyland anywhere, I think about the fact that Fantasyland was probably the closest to Walt Disney's heart. Yes. Because it's, you know, was an area that I think he put a lot of effort into. Uh, I would even argue in the original Disneyland that it was probably the most complete land of all the lands that opened up. Uh, they kind of had his vision for what they what they wanted to do. So the fact that the Magic Kingdom got a remodel of their Fantasyland... Uh, just a few years ago, and they added a lot of stuff, I think is great. And I think, uh, I, I really like the Fantasyland. It's huge compared to the Disneyland Fantasyland. It's gigantic. So, but uh, that's good, because I think that, that makes it nice for all the little kids, because I feel like, at Disneyland, I feel like it's very cramped with all the families and stuff moving around. Oh, so, yeah. Magic Kingdom definitely played it well. It's spread out. I never feel cramped in the Magic Kingdom. That's no, for they sure. use the space well, I agree. Well, now it's time to return, James, to trivia and see how I did this time. I I am not that uh, confident, but I guess we'll find out. <sighs> That's unfortunate. Uh, so our first question was, what is the oldest attraction in Magic Kingdom? And I said the carousel, which we just talked about, 1917, but, I, but it could also have been a, one of the train locomotives, so let's find out. Well, it's a good thing you did your research for this week, because it is, in fact, the Prince Charming Regal Carousel. Woo! Like you said, it was formerly Cinderella's Golden Carousel, originally built for Detroit's Belle Island Park in 1917. I like how you just reiterated basically everything we were just talking about. Just in case you didn't miss or didn't hear that part. Well, at least I got one point this week so far. All right, what's the next one? All right, what is the name of the audio animatronic singer slash organist who performs daily at Cosmic Ray's Starlight Cafe? Well, well, it's Co- Cosmic Ray, isn't it? Oh no, it's Sunny Eclipse. You know, actually, I don't think I knew that. Oh, that should be a relief for you then, right? Sunny Eclipse, huh? Sunny Eclipse. Huh. I thought he had some other weird name. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's our trivia for this episode. I would love to ask some guest trivia next time or on a future episode. And if you have an idea for something that I can stump, tag, and tarry on, you can send me an email at trivia at mousekingdoms.com. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Mouse Kingdoms. Join us again later this week for more news and information from around the Disney parks.